Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. Today, I'm happy to introduce my guest, Chris Chiari. He's a driven entrepreneur and award-winning film producer with a wealth of experience in corporate strategy and regional politics. Skilled in marketing and messaging, he's engaged exclusively with the cannabis industry since 2011 and is a tireless advocate for the cannabis policy reform and fostering industry growth. He's former deputy director of Colorado Normal, serving for over eight years. When he's not working on his 420 hotels portfolio, he stays involved with grassroots advocacy and advancing social reform. He also owns and operates Denver's historic Patterson Inn, the keystone of the 420 Hotels portfolio. As CEO, he uses his expertise in hospitality, operations, and community outreach to address the stigmas and ignorance that still exist around cannabis use while creating a unique and upscale environment for cannabis consumption. The 420 Hotels aims to be amongst the nation's first hotel chains where guests will be able to consume cannabis on site in legally licensed lounges. Welcome to the show today, Chris. Uh, Thanks for having me, Bethany. Excellent. So for our listeners, uh, let's learn a bit more about your background and some of the things you've done with your life before you moved into the cannabis industry and movement. I was at Al Farm nine years ago, and Anita Thompson asked me what I did for a living, and I said, general mischief, all for good, and I stand by that. <laughs> I love that. Go on. So I am a melanoma survivor. At 27, I was doing marketing and messaging for startup companies, had a degree in economics. Uh, it was the dawn of the internet, 97, right? The internet becomes a thing when it became, you know, chat rooms around stocks and, and promotion. And I had a really good run. At 27, I had melanoma. Doctors said, don't make long-term plans. And so with what I thought was a ticking clock, I uh, did a corporate reorganization down in Pompano Beach, Florida, and then uh, spent the next couple years unsuccessfully running for political office. Uh, I was... Um, Out of favor, my party was not the one that uh, typically won the district I ran in, but it's important to engage the process. And I had learned door-to-door organizing going going back to the early 90s, working on environmental issues. Get a clean bill of health 12 years ago. 
And doctors said, go make long-term plans. I've had 79 moles cut off, um, and that's been the secret to the longevity. And with that new lease on life, I literally listed my house in Fort Lauderdale, flew out to Colorado, and looked at what at the time was this abandoned property sitting on a hill in the middle of Capitol Hill with a fortuitous address over the door 420. And my life has been uh, dedicated to this work of leaning in that everything I've done professionally, everything I've done politically, successfully or not engaging the process gives you a place to help craft and sometimes mold the conversation. And so being engaged is important. And so for the last 12 years, everything I've touched uh, has been and led with cannabis as the through line. Made a film with Ice-T. We won the Seattle Film Festival and uh, producer awards at Doc LA back in 2019. It was about the war on drugs and um, a product of this work and relationships that I had built in this space now going back a dozen years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that leads into the next question I was going to ask you about why and how you would get involved in, in cannabis, you know, with the stigmas where, uh, you know, many people may not want to work with somebody who's involved in cannabis advocacy, as was the case for me. I, you know, lost friendships and my relationship with the plant has certainly been very personal for depression, for anxiety, uh, for just general well-being. Uh, did you want to add any more about, you know, some of the deeper reasons why you're involved in, in this movement and putting your your life financially on the line in some cases here for the cannabis movement? My consumption of cannabis was the one thing that I was consistently dishonest about through different chapters of my life. And with the new lease on life, I thought it was important to lean in then to the things that really something that had been part of my life and experience going back well earlier than, you know, some of us might like to admit we started smoking, uh, but I've been consuming for quite some time. I'm 49 now. I've been smoking for 31 years. And so my relationship with the plant, it was music, it was culture, it was uh, communal. These are things that I remember from the first time that I smoked. It was generous. And I felt this responsibility then to make sure that I was honest. And yes, the stigma, I've lost friends, thought that I went off the deep end as I was leaning in to a life that was focused around cannabis. And when I sold everything in South Florida, so I tried to buy the what is now the Patterson Inn 12 years ago, missed out by two weeks. And when I missed it, I ended up on this misadventure. Maybe we could call it a walkabout now. And I crisscrossed the country 115,000 miles over 22 months. It was telecommuting with my computer and my phone. But I was going from bong and pipe trade show to Cannabis Cup and interacting what was the legacy that we now uh, see move into legal. And for me, you know, my consumption, like I said, goes back many years. I get the license for the lounge and a friend from college reached out and reminded me that the work I'm doing now is things I had dedicated myself to at 18 years old, my first semester in college, when I said one day I was gonna make a safe legal place for me and all my friends to smoke pot together. And so this is, this is the lifetime relationship. If someone asked me what I've done for, for my life, I would say I've been uh, intimately involved and engaged in cannabis, both from a cultural standpoint and now for the last 12 plus years from the policy standpoint and with seven years now badged in the Colorado cannabis industry, the professional elements of my life. Mm -hmm. 
absolutely. Yeah. So I, I would, I like to call adventures like that a side quest, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess in your case, it was a several years long side quest. <laughs> um, so here we are today. It's 2023, unbelievably, and you are operating the Patterson Inn. There's a lovely little tavern down there with cocktails called 12 Spirits Tavern. What is the current status of, of what's going on and what your goals are with the Patterson Inn? So when I looked at the building 12 years ago, it was abandoned, had been abandoned for eight years. I pointed up and I said, one day I want to turn you into a marijuana bed and breakfast. Missed out on the property by two weeks, but the team that I bought it from now five years ago had purchased the building and did the renovations and opened the hotel. In 2018, I was uh, with another friend looking at a property around a concept around cannabis hospitality. And I and said, let's go look at this property because I knew the improvements that had been done, uh, fire suppression systems, modernization of electrical and HVAC, and wanted her to see this because it would be comparative to another building that was being looked at and considered. And I realized that it was for sale again. And I took the risk. I closed. I'm coming up on my fifth year anniversary. So come May 31st of uh, 2023, I'll have owned and operated the Patterson Inn for five years. Tavern is an amenity that was always present on the property, but the uh, liquor license was restricted. You can only serve to a registered guest of the hotel. That was changed and modified with my good neighbor agreement when I rezoned the property uh, almost two and a half years ago now. And the rezoning was a prerequisite to take a residential structure with the use of a hotel and position it for what the zoning requirements were for the future license, which was the goal always of adding cannabis hospitality. So Patterson is open uh, five years under my ownership. We just uh, won an award for hotel of the year for 2022 uh, from travel and hospitality. Cool. The core business is sound. 12 spirits is coming up on a one year anniversary. May 13th will be our one year anniversary since we were able to open the bar to the public. And so in this intimate structure, if you went to patterson.com, you'd see a, a French chateau-esque castle sitting on a hill with an address over the door 420. But in this building today is a nine room operating hotel and this now open to the public intimate little speakeasy in the basement. Absolutely. Great. And I, I've had an opportunity. It's right here in Denver, obviously. So I've had an opportunity to stop through there on a few occasions. And it, it is really cozy and lovely. And the Rosemary Aviation cocktail is is divine. Um, so thank you for sharing that update. I We are about to take our first commercial break and then we'll come back and we'll take a deeper dive uh, about the journey of the cannabis consumption friendly hotel. So stay tuned. We will be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, the Director of Communications at the National Cannabis Industry Association. And we're talking with Chris Chiari, who runs the 420 Hotels Portfolio. We're going to talk more about the hotel. As you mentioned earlier, it's it was a longtime dream of yours to open a cannabis bed and breakfast or hotel. So let's tell me that story again about when you first saw the building and looked up at it and began to imagine it for what it is today. March of 2011. I literally had gone to contract on my house in Fort Lauderdale the day before, and I flew out to Denver because I was looking at what was comparable as far as price property. And this one particular house just jumped off the page. A curb appeal, curb appeal, curb appeal. You always hear that and it's important in real estate. And what I saw in a flash, and for many people, right, great ideas come very quickly. They come like a light bulb. And the challenge is grasping it, unpacking it, and then having the patience and tenacity and the right ingredients in combination to see it into fruition. And that's what I saw. I saw this core asset, this physical piece of real estate. I saw the vision of hotel operations, something that you could wrap your mind around as far as what does that look like to operate and, and project. And then this potential for what could it mean to add uh, licensed, hopefully, right? That's always been the goal. Legitimized, hopefully, that's always been the goal. Cannabis social use and hospitality. That one piece in every state that's rolled out, it's never there at the beginning. In Colorado, the thought was we'll take care of it tomorrow, but tomorrow took eight years from legalization. Um, when I looked at that house originally in 2011, cannabis was still illegal in the state of Colorado. When I purchased the property five years ago, cannabis hospitality was still a thought. We had I-300 in Denver, but no one was really hadn't been implemented yet. And what could be or what might be was still an unknown. My vision has always been that ability to sit down with a pipe, a bong, a joint, or a vaporizer and consume cannabis flower, cannabis concentrates. It has always been the intention. The world had to catch up, had an idea, and the world had to catch up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, along the way, it's it's not as simple as just snapping your fingers and you have an operating <laughs> cannabis lounge here. It's taking a little bit of time to get off the ground with that lounge space, even though you have license in hand. There's some challenges there. Let's let's talk about the process you're going through just to get the space ready to become what you're envisioning it to become. Biggest challenge, and this is a very, it's true, and this has been, was true of the first dispensaries and the first cultivation and cannabis hospitality. It is a new license class. And so Denver is the rare jurisdiction that has created the local rules to take you one step further from the state rules. And those rules are very clear around requirements to deal with HVAC, to deal with employee protection and safety. 
if you go into cigar lounges that have been around for a while, they're very smoke environment, very smoke filled rooms. If you were to go into a cigar lounge that was built in the last decade, it's a different experience. And that has a lot to do with changing in international standards around safe environments for employees in a smoke filled room. Denver is enforcing a very uh, strict um, observance of those rules. And the challenge has come down to uh, recognizing the unique similarities between the combustion of tobacco in a cigar lounge and cannabis and the inherent differences and what that means towards uh, filtration, purification of air. The system that is required is required to move 100 times more air than a normal HVAC for a commercial space. And all of that air, 100%, is supposed to be fresh air. In my case, I have a room that's about 9,000 cubic feet. The math works out that will flip the total air con uh, content of the room 20 times per hour. And so wow. from a heating and cooling standpoint, right, not just flipping a room 20 times an hour, but in the extremes of summer, in the extremes of winter, adding heat, stripping heat, depending on the season to comfort and climate control the space, that's where this became burdensome. So I'm working with the city on what it looks like to amend, to recirculate, and the recirculation of air, the restriction of some of that fresh air starts to equal efficiency. My argument was in Denver, we're trying to lead on building a sustainable city, installing HVAC equipment for a 20, 25 year useful life. That was, you know, a generation's step backwards as far as operating efficiencies really resonated and opened up this path to amending. It's been a slog. It's been 17, coming up on 18 months since I originally submitted my application uh, to the city. It's coming up on the one-year anniversary since the city issued my provisional license. And in the interim, we've been working on multiple drafts showing that we can, one, protect employees and create a safe work environment, and two, create a space that using recirculated and filtered air can return air back into the room that is cleaner than outside air. Luckily, Denver has very polluted air. Not a lot of people realize that because of our beautiful <laughs> blue skies, but we do. And so that actually helps as far as the standard that I have to achieve on the return. So one of the benefits of being here, but anytime you move into new licensing, and like I said, this was true and it has been true in every market with new licensing, first to market, always deal with unique challenges, mostly as regulators as well learn best practices. And that process then becomes more streamlined for operators that follow. And that's the hope that I'm fine dealing with some of these challenges because I've spent now a dozen plus years of my life committed to this. And so this is another way of influencing that policy, but doing it through the operating of a business. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to wonder if those requirements are less than more than or equal to the air circulation on the big airplanes to be honest um you know coming out of a covid 19 pandemic world where we think about the quality of air so much now and the purity of it um that's just curious little side thought that came about there uh for me i will thankfully be able to operate based on the current relationship that we're building around the plan with the city we are going to be able to recirculate even more than an airplane. Airplanes, 50% will do better than that. Uh, I don't have the benefits of giant jet engines making all that heat that becomes <laughs> a spillover heating capacity for cabin comfort. Uh, so, so the jet engine has some uh, advantages, 
over what I have in an old historic building from 1891. But still, uh, that's a good analogy. Um, operating rooms are also, uh, operating rooms are 15 turns per hour, albeit 20. Wow. So if you think about it, we'll have a higher standard. Though the difference is I'm adding likely with a space. So I have a 900 square foot space. My capacity will be 42 people. Um, the value of right building this type of space in a hotel with all of the inherent uncertainties of cannabis hospitality. You know, one of the biggest things we have to do in creating destinations and space in cannabis hospitality is motivate you away from the decisions and actions you've already found comfort doing, whether it's smoking at home on a Saturday night to relax or going to a house party with friends or taking two puffs before going into a concert on a Saturday night. These are the ways many people interact with cannabis. For me, what I'm trying to do is pair this with a, a hotel where 42 person room, though that's not likely the type of venue that satisfies even the demand here in Denver for a lounge, it does create a really intimate space for guests of the hotel and other limited access, limited because I have this old historic building, there's only so much volume it can handle, mm -hmm. but also recognizing that the hotel is the destination and the cannabis hospitality then becomes the place to um, enhance that destination through this unique amenity. And so it's a small room, 42 people. And with this HVAC system, I'll be adding combustion. And that combustion is where my space is distinctly different than an emergency room or a hospital operating room. And so we're even with 20 turns, it's, it's still going to likely be a smoky room. It's hmm. just not going to be an overwhelming Anyone who remembers Amtrak trains when you could still smoke on the last car in the back, it won't be like that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the smoking section of a uh, a diner like uh, Denny's or something like that, right? When they used to have those rooms. <laughs> All right, let's take our last commercial break and then we'll come back and talk a bit more about hospitality and tourism for the cannabis industry and a couple other things before we wrap up the episode. But stay tuned. We will be right back to chat more with Chris Chiari of the 420 Hotels. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, chatting with Chris Chiari of the 420 Hotels. As we begin to wrap up this episode in these next couple of minutes, um, first, big picture stuff. Why is it to you, in your opinion, important or valuable to have a cannabis consumption space like this in a boutique hotel, which, you know, that's part of the hospitality and tourism industry, and we're marrying it with cannabis consumption. Why is this so valuable and important? I've committed my dozen plus years now to the normalization and destigmatization of possession and use. That's the kind of work I did with normal, a consumer advocacy. Production and distribution is being figured out and monetized and rolled out across the country, but we still harbor this stigma in the same way we shared earlier in the show that we both lost friends and relationships as we pivoted our careers into the cannabis space. And in my case, even friends that used to go run to go pick it up in the city in New York uh, so we could smoke <laughs> on a Saturday night, right? They don't talk to me anymore. Mm -hmm. Fascinating how is mm -hmm. the psychology behind that? These aren't my problems, right? I'm the one who's leaning in and being honest. 
So the normalization, destigmatization of cannabis possession and use and doing that in a way that de-risks some of the uncertainty around cannabis hospitality and the unknowns that builds the business on core assets, in this case, the real estate, the operating hotel operations, these become foundational. So we're normalizing through business and doing it through predictable business, through hospitality and overnight hospitality, and then pairing it with the most exciting and unique amenity in America today. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Agree. Yeah. Still, even after all these years of adult use legalization and more and more states legalizing every year, the stigma still remains. And that is honestly one of our biggest challenges working with members of Congress who are a bit of an older generation and, uh, you know, were growing up or, you know, well into their adulthood during the war on drugs and, uh, you know, reefer madness. So, you know, there's a there's financial challenges in our industry as well. NCIA has been focused on the Safe Banking Act in Congress, which is kind of our baby. It's passed through the House of Representatives seven times now, um, just trying to get that progress on the Senate side. So let's talk about some successes you've been achieving on that side of things. You know, I get stuck because I'm licensed like a dispensary. I uh, went through suitability for both myself personally and for the 420 Hotels, Inc., the Nevada parent company. The operating entity in Denver will be known as the 420 Denver. It is holding provisional licenses to operate cannabis hospitality. But I purposely picked the bring your own cannabis model for two reasons. One, guests coming to the hotel, in many cases, stop at the dispensary coming from the airport, and now they have a place to consume. If I sold, just like at a bar, I can't let you bring in your own outside alcohol. If I sold and became a point of distribution, I'd have to bar your use of products you purchased somewhere else. So if the goal is to create a hospitable environment, but then I have to restrict what you can do there, it didn't fit for the model. The second thing was to be as close as a regulated, licensed cannabis business, which I am. I hold suitability. I am badged. The business, the 420 Hotels, owns, holds suitability. This licensing process moving through the regulated MED environment is that cannabis side of this hotel business, but I don't touch the plant. And getting financial institutions to understand that has been near impossible. In fact, when I originally went for financing five years ago, I said to banks, I know you won't be my bank if I get the license. Will you be my bank if I got the paper trying? And seven of eight said no. Well, last week, I'm excited because, well, there's been three benchmarks we've crossed in the past year. By not touching the plant, I became the first licensed cannabis business to list equity crowdfund campaigns on both Republic and Start Engine. Have been able to raise over a quarter million dollars in the last 12 months from investors uh, investing a little over $500 each, which has been foundational to some of the, the structure and final design work we've done over the last year. But just last week, beginning of March 2023, well, we're still talking about the safe banking, the future of cannabis access to finance that has come so close but missed the mark cycle and legislative session after session. I was able to get a bank account opened on behalf of the 420 Hotels, a business licensed in cannabis hospitality, licensed like a dispensary in Colorado at First Citizens Bank, which is a top 20 financial institution. Uh, they just acquired the assets of the Silicon Valley Bank. They're now a $218 billion uh, bank in top 20. 
made it through their compliance, made it through now third-party outside legal review from Republic and Start Engine that showed I didn't touch the plant that I owned these assets, and also now with First Citizens Bank have gotten through, and I believe may be the first licensed cannabis operator to secure a checking account uh, relationship without any restrictions or added fees. I am a normal business checking account with First Citizens Bank. And it's a step in the right direction because now we're talking about lending against wow. the real estate, against the structure because of how right. this was built out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations on all that progress as well. Um, can't wait to hear how things continue to go with the lounge and the HVAC and the design and everything. And uh, it's it's definitely a unique experience for consumers and addresses one of the major issues of cannabis tourism is plenty of dispensaries everywhere, but where are you going to smoke it, right? <laughs> this is still a valid concern for a tourist and by and large left unanswered. Absolutely. Well, we have run out of time. I was going to tell the audience a really funny story about how the first time I met you nine years ago in Denver, I kicked over a wine glass at your house in front of three dozen people and interrupted everything by accident. But we'll save that for another time. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can people find out more about you and your business? PattersonInn.com is the website for the operating hotel currently. The 420 Hotels, T-H-E 420 Hotels with an S.com uh, for information about uh, how we've been uh, raising money and including our annual report that shows the uh, revenue from last year and our assets. And then uh, Public Enemy Number One Film, if you wanted to watch the documentary with Ice-T we made about the war on drugs back in 2019. Excellent. All right. Thanks again for being on the show. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.